the old pilot's plane tales. Flying the Red Flag, Part 3 A continuation of the story of Exercise Red Flag. If you want to get the best out of this podcast, it's probably ideal to go back and listen to Parts 1 and 2 first. A success was to see nobody, but the trouble is that was boring. So over land is where frankly, the Rios, the backseaters, um, made their money because you had to, to work some of the challenges over land. Uh, looked down, it did pretty well, but you still had to, you know, a good Rio could make it work better. I suppose being a two-crew aircraft, as you'd appreciate, it sort of makes things a lot easier. So we would do, like I said, fighter sweeps ahead as a, as a two or four ship. We did actually a little bit of reconnaissance work as well. That was something unique to the Tomcat. We had a, a pod with three cameras on board. We didn't go in with armed fighter escort, you know, blokes on your wings trying to shoot down for you. It, it, it was There were guys out there, but they were typical American air superiority, go in and sweep, yeah, shoot shoot everybody down before the, the bombers get there sort of thing. That was a, that was a good task. Yeah. And they would have been told that your, quite simply, your job is to defend a ground package that's coming through uh, this area at this time. Uh, and this, these are your likely threats, just like it would be in war. That was the biggest thing when the when the, plan, when the plan went to hell, how to modify the plan and then go from there. And but to give the Americans their due, that's right up their street. The the big package stuff was where they were. But, very strong. 07, it was the first red flag with F-22. And they managed to replicate an eight-ship wall of F-15s with two F-22s. Um, it, was, it was blowing our mind at the time. A successful mission might be to complete your task without actually setting eyes on the enemy. But that was unlikely to happen. And you'd have F-111s, it'd be all sorts. And then you'd have your escort ahead of you of, say... F-15s or 16s, then you'd hear the AWACS coming on, reporting from over the Tonopah side of the world. Red Air would have um, come, you know, they're coming from the west, and you'd start hearing stuff. Then there would be a um, general broadcast of fighter activity for bogeys uh, 10 miles southwest of Timbuktu or whatever. And sometimes we refer to them as clue wax. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did that mean? <laughs> they didn't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> Joking, of course. AWACS, the E3 Sentry Airborne Warning and Control System. I, I remember the, the <laughs> I was a bit of a bad lad, I remember now. I remember that there was a cat floating around. This is a war story. There was a cat floating around over some hills as we were going to it. And I could hear on the radio. I think we probably had to be on a common frequency for our safety's sake. And I can't remember if it's Canadians or who it was, but or it must have, I think it was Canadians, so it would have it wasn't 104s. Anyway, and uh, these boys were talking to each other. And I thought, fuck this, uh, we're getting closer now. So I said, hey, Chuck, break, right, break, right. There's one in right near six o'clock. And these two guys have got this guy suddenly peeled off. Oh, that worked well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got some turning and burning. Yeah, sometimes you get into it. And, you know, if uh, 
depending on you know who was out there. But yeah, there was definitely some turning and burning that goes on. It was a load of F-15s got caught up in our package and one went straight in front of me at very low level. But of course, it's all over so quick. By the time Gash has done all this with his fingers, the, the Fox 2 was long gone. <laughs> <laughs> but if you kept, you know, I guess, other, I mean, I just did it by the rules. But the time you made all your switches live, for me, it was too late. But I guess you should, in war, you'd have just left everything ready to go, you know, all your late arm switches and all this sort of rubbish. A Fox 2, a heat-seeking missile. Not really turning and burning. I remember surprising some F-15s, chasing them down, shooting them, um, but never, you know, 1v1, getting slow, that kind of thing. There weren't too many people that actually wanted to get down that low and tangle. Yeah. The aggressors coming out, and they, those boys knew what they were doing. And generally, to be honest, we got left alone because they couldn't come anywhere near us in terms of height was uh, the aggressor coming down on me and my mate. So we would have gone black duck sort of thing. And I'm going along at 100 feet over the desert. I'm going along and there's my shadow on the desert. And when I'm told to duck, I go down to get closer to my shadow. The shadow <laughs> the shadow and the aeroplane get closer and closer. And at that point, he just broke away. He said, yeah, that, that was far too hard for me. I'm not going down there chasing down an f-15 once didn't know we were there yet uh we definitely got supersonic chasing him down i think we went for a gun solution i'm not sure how that worked out but that'll be my story especially if you're near the tail end of a strike train you, you get picked off every now and then or at least engaged for the strike package their task was to find and obliterate their ground targets because they had sam sites in the desert they had convoys they had airfields with the uh, little taxiways dug into the side of the mountains like North Korea. Looking here, it just says a thousand pound free fall live JP233, which obviously wasn't live. But obviously, it was an airfield that we were attacking. And then thousand pound of retard live, thousand pound of retard live, thousand pound of free fall live. So that was the best bit that you were chucking off live bombs. Bridges, tanks, decoys, things like that. Seeing a live thousand pounder go off in the sandy desert, done half make a big mushroom. And a phantom went in, and we all got presented. I've got one at home, their uh, IR picture, so you can see these hot spots where the bombs went. You know, so <laughs> you could you could see the target because it was the only thing there, but you still had to get to the target on time, sort of thing. But I remember leading the first ever um, HE strafe that had ever been done in a tornado. You don't want to hang around the target area too long. And uh, if things got screwed up, get the, get the heck out of there. The aeroplane dumped all the kit, the weaponry <laughs> kit. So, when, so everything just disappeared from the HUD. So it's like, well, that's fair enough. We'll come off dry and you brief at what's called a gate time. So you, you do a great big oval and you, you come in 30 seconds behind number eight. So that's what I did. So I go all the way around. My wingman, the guy called Wilbur he sat there following me around sticks with his leader so to speak i tell everyone what i'm doing my formation are now pissing off home <laughs> <laughs> i'm going round, and i come down the dive everything's ready we've got a standby sight up and just as i'm about to open up the tornado goes over the target and i nearly <laughs> shot him out of the bloody sky <laughs> and i'm thinking damned if i'm not getting rid of these bloody bullets so i go around a third time and then piss off home 
if you if you did your mission, get out of there. If you if you didn't and you screwed up, I mean, suddenly you're going back when you don't really want to go back into that where where the red air is hanging out. But you got to help got to help out the guys that are dropping the bombs. Subsequently, in the debrief, Gasher gets asked what he was up to. And then you go into this massive auditorium because all the jets are carrying the pods like ACMI. So yep. everything's linked. Like, so <laughs> we sat there with, and, the de- and the sort of mission plays and you can see all these jets, little shapes going across the desert and then doing stuff and coming home again. And some bloke says, hey, could you just stop it there, sir? And he says, what are those tornadoes doing circles? <laughs> and I'm like... Put my hand up. I have to explain myself, but yeah, it, it looked really funny that they all went home, and I'm still going round and round. <laughs> and so I'm starting my left hand descending attack on this F4, and all of a sudden my windscreen was filled with F4, and I am convinced that his tail went between my two. Whoa! I, I was rolling in on the guy down low. This guy was in a pitch, a pop in the other direction. And I remember it was the Fort Wayne, Indiana guard. The tail flash at the top was a red, white, and blue stripe. Quarter of a second, a couple feet, half a G from not not talking to you today. It was it was unbelievably close. One of the great features of Red Flag was the ability to simulate ground to air threats. They they had their equipment, their transmitters sitting on the ground, and their operators were trained to do it how the soviets would do it it was enough for us to know there's something dangerous over there we've got to step around it they had uh zsu 23 4 type things yeah. um so they will give you instead of pulse india they give you pulse juliet we used to have to listen to the pulse repetition frequency of the fucking radar to work out whether it was triple a or whether uh whether it was the sam eight who, who were both Pulse Juliet. So the <laughs> ZSU-23-4 required you to do a AAA jink, and the SAM-8 required you to fly lower than 50 feet um, as, as soon as possible. And they were both Pulse Juliet. And if you got the... So you ha- actually had to listen to the... You know, the threat simulators that they had out there. I mean, to see yourself on video were... Uh... They're out there launching smoky Sams at you and things like that. They left one bodacious smoke trail coming out the back end, so you knew you were being fired at. <laughs> They'd stick us down in the weeds, not surprisingly, given the design and the capabilities of the aircraft and the level of ground threat simulation was more impressive than their um, aerial threat simulation in that they had actual you know, hardware on the ground. We had EW fit. We definitely had okay. chaff uh, and ECM pods. So people would be chaff, you could chaff and flare and you have this boz pod that would be jamming. So of course you flare, but if you flare at 100 feet, the flare's still burning when it hits the ground. And you're flying over civilian man sites with just local people who are just taught, taught how to operate a ZSU or something. And they're getting flares bouncing underneath their cars. <laughs> <laughs> the next person who flares below 300 feet isn't flying again. Me and Brian, because I know what his fingers are like, I just said, we will not flare. I would rather die <laughs> on exercise, because it doesn't matter, it's not real. But True. I'd come in and do two weeks of flying, not sit on the ground, you know. So we never flared. And the next day, a guy called Paul and Jerry, um, that was the end of their red flag. Would you get reprimand flying supersonic over a manned air 
physical damage to the people inside it, but it actually bent the mechanism and the radar wouldn't spin anymore. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a great day, you know, dash four, just, just trying to hold on, on this supersonic egress. He got singled out by the mission commander and it was like, what's your speed at this point? Mark 1.6. And, like, and he's just like, <laughs> and the GR4 guys, the, the RAF guys that were there sort of, looked back over their shoulders and went, yep, good on you. That's that's pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) The egress from the target was often the chance for pilots to show the true capabilities of their aircraft. We could outrun anything at at that speed. Yeah, just put the wings back and go. The F-111 guys, and we just said, okay, so you hit the target. What do you want for escort uh, getting off the target? They'd say, stay out of our way. And (laughs) And you look on the desert floor and you would just see a dust cloud moving along and those guys are regressing out of their supersonic. So we worked as four ships, but there were three of them. And it meant that the front four ship couldn't turn around and go back the way they'd just come from, for example. Otherwise, you meet eight of your mates coming the other way. So there were certain, certain things in a 12 ship that you, you couldn't do that you could do in a four ship. And then we'd be racing home at 100 feet, you know, five, 600 mile an hour. They'd try and catch you up. <laughs> sort of hanging in there down the back of the formation at 100 feet, checking off live bombs. I was as happy as Larry. <laughs> and it was good fun. And on the way home, it was really just as fast as you like. And we, I mean, you'd have F-111s coming past you. God knows what speed they were doing. <laughs> um, it's an interesting aircraft. It's such a high wing loading. It, it feels like it's on rails almost. So to have a sense of speed, you don't quite get it, the same as you would in another aircraft where it starts to sort of rattle around a bit and the and the and you can hear the hear the noise through the canopy and the rest of it. You just don't you just don't get any of that. And I guess keeping in mind this thing was designed to do Mark 2.5 when it's only sitting at 1.5, it's it's barely sort of heating up at that point. So it's something that they wouldn't have seen in the states for 20 years at this point. And um, the feedback we'd get, you know, at the bar on a Friday night, especially from some of the aggressors, just like we just see you guys go and not even bother chasing. Afterwards, the debrief would be the moment of truth. We'd sacrifice one, usually our outboard wing station, for yeah, an instrumentation pod. But the benefits of that were immeasurable. You'd watch a, a full second-by-second second replay of every single aircraft in the area um, during the debrief. And the SA was just enormous. Well, for Red Flag, they gave us colour film. Who's using 16 millimeter, man? We got video. <laughs> we got digital. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, the, the learning opportunities were just ridiculous because you you, re- you literally got that god's eye view. Whoever led our H it would have done a hot debrief to get some. Uh, who who reckons they got shot down? Well, okay, some of you put your hands down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought we had. I thought we had a. A pretty good success rate and especially getting with the guys to the target i think we did pretty darn good at that you go in for a, a big debrief and they the the package leader would pick out some highlights by then uh, there'd be color film of this jaguar going along you know that sort of thing and here we have the bogey coming up here sir and so i kind of you know and that sort of thing on the big screen the Phoenix was a hard missile to do shot validation, especially using the, the tax ranges. We would use it, 
that we wouldn't get any valid kills using it. Um, they wouldn't, you know, eliminate people from the fight because of it. So we would be able to debrief amongst the crew that, yeah, that was a valid shot. It would have been a kill, but for the purposes of this training, press time with the fight, that's kind of how we ran it. The debrief, the instrumentation, the amount of insight you could gain was phenomenal. It wasn't a matter of finding enough lessons to learn. It was like, well, let's just pick three important ones out of the thousands that we could sort of drill down on and and um, and focus on those because the, the fidelity of the feedback you're getting was just phenomenal. And eventually this uh, F-15 guy came into, the, into our sort of ops area, planning area, and just said, right, have you got a, a video player, Betamax thing? Yeah. Everybody in there from this trip we just landed off. He shut the door and he said, right, this isn't happening. Do we have an understanding? Yeah. Right. Played his tape. I mean, I can't remember what it showed. He was shooting the shit out of us. Oh, dear. And he just said, keep doing what you're doing, boys, but at least we're on the same side. <laughs> and it, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> I asked Abs what it was like to conduct one of these debriefs. Uh, intimidating, um, especially when, you know, there's 20-odd one-stars in the front row. So what did these guys take away from Red Flag? It was fascinating, to be honest with you, because it gets so many different models, so many different aircraft with different crews of experiences. And then by the middle of it, you're kind of getting the tactics. And by the end, you know, the learning curve is nearly vertical. It'd be amazing how few words it took to make a strike work out. It was just such a, uh, an immersive environment to learn in. Um, and because it was these huge packages that were just back to back to back to back, sort of 10 in a row, for two weeks, um, I felt like I. It was like a, a year's worth of training back on squadron for me, and probably took a year off your life at the other <laughs> at the other end of it. <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely worthwhile. It was fun. It was tactical. Um, you learned a lot, and then you you worked those new tactics and lessons learned into you know, your future planning that kind of thing. So it was. And the second one we went on the week before. A guy I'd done bad coal group with ended up ejecting. He lost it at low level, jumped out, got smacked massively, broke his leg. I mean, they, he was in a terrible way. And the, the airplane carried on. You're joking. <laughs> the ejection recovered it, and it carried on for quite a while. <laughs> That's the hardest dang course I've ever been through in my life, you know? We weren't out playing volleyball with uh, Goose and Maverick. We were... <laughs> <laughs> I remember more doing practicing for the Morris dancing because, you know, we had to entertain the boys on a Friday night in uh, <laughs> the, the bar. What? We'd, uh, we trained up. We had, did we have eight? Yeah, we had an eight doing the old bells and the hats. And I've got some photos somewhere, you know, with bells and the things. And, and the sticks. And the hankies and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> dancing up and down. Yeah, we, we, we were accomplished Morris side, mate. The, so, the Yanks had never seen anything like it, of course. I, I bet not. Yeah, no, the, the Americans looked after us well, Nick. Um, we had to be on our best behaviour, really. <laughs> <laughs> My enormous thanks to Nige from RAF Jaguars, Gasher from the Mighty Tornado, Jack the Eagle Driver, Scott R. Tomcat Rio and Abs with his eye-watering F-111 for their insights into Red Flag. 
good show guys If you enjoyed this story, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Plain Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find that at AirlinePilotGuy.com.